Hey, welcome into another edition of Spitting Lugs with the ESPN's Tom Luganbill. I'm Lance Taylor from the next round. It is brought to you by our friends at mybookie.ag. Remember, go to uh, use that promo code next round. You're going to secure a first deposit bonus at mybookie.ag, where you can play the NBA, college basketball, the bowl season coming up, the NFL, everything right there at mybookie.ag. So I know you haven't been asked this yet, but did the committee get it right? I think deep down they did get it right, but I still find there to be something fundamentally wrong with how we got here. Um, There's just something in my being that tells me that no matter the circumstances, if you are a Power 5 conference champ and you're undefeated, you can't be left out. And, and, And I understand you can't fit everybody in. And I also understand the language of the best four teams. And I bet you if they could go back to the beginning of the college football playoff, they probably would have avoided that language a little bit. Because all it does is open the door for the discussion about the eye test and the analytics. And were you a one-loss team or a zero-loss team? And did you win your conference championship or not? And it's, um, it's unfortunate. Like, I really, really feel for Florida State. And I've, I've said this all week long. This isn't an Alabama problem. If Georgia beats Alabama, this exact same discussion is happening in the room with the committee. It's just Florida State and Texas. That's all all it is. And I was going to ask you, like I've said the last couple of days, I truly believe if Georgia beats Bama, Florida State's in, Texas is out. But because Alabama, lasting impression, best one of the college football season, SEC champions, they had to have a drafting partner with Texas. Like Bama wasn't getting in without Texas, but I think it would have been an easy argument or easier argument as well as Texas is playing to say undefeated Michigan, undefeated Georgia, undefeated Washington, undefeated Florida State. Yeah. Oh, I don't think there's any question. And you mentioned something that I think is really important there, and that is the freshness and the visuals and having been burnt in everybody's mind what we watched this weekend. And imagine that being the lasting impression. And it was strong. It was strong in Charlotte on, on Saturday night. It was strong in, in Arlington, Texas on Saturday afternoon. And it was certainly strong in Atlanta. And it carries over. Like, you go into that room the next morning and you're on that committee. Like, you're, you're telling me that your reaction towards looking at those teams and the body of work as a whole wouldn't be different from a mindset standpoint if you did it two weeks from now versus the very next morning. I just don't think you can avoid that human nature. That's how that's how you're going to react. That's how we're all going to react, you know. Yeah. And so um, I, I do think that plays a role, fair or unfair. Like, you're like, whoa, it's kind of like when a kid takes an official visit and he gets home on Sunday night and the very next day he wants to he wants to commit to that school. Or that night he comes home, he's like, wow, Dad, this place is awesome. And you, and you, and you want to tell him, listen, take a deep breath, go to sleep tonight, go to school tomorrow, get a good night's sleep tomorrow night, and let's take it through a little decompression period. Then we'll think through everything and we'll go through all the parameters, right? But the committee doesn't do that. They don't have the opportunity to do that. It's right in the room for the final decision to decide it all. Now, whether they got it right or wrong, Lance, I will give them credit for doing the hard thing. Like they had to know the gravity and the weight of what they were about to do and what they decided to do once that became public and the backlash that was going to come. 
Yeah, look, uh, I know they will blame it on SEC politics. Heaviest stick gets their way, all that sort of stuff. But I think most people, when you watch the games, and I'll bring up two points. If if the committee would say, hey, look, it, it is too tight. We, we just can't leave both out. We're going to have a play-in game between Alabama and Florida State. I think Alabama would have said, uh, we'll take that, and we'll take our probably 15, 16, 17-point favorites. We'll run you off the field, and then we'll go on to the college football playoff. And on the other side, and this would this could have been one of the factors for the committee. If you ask Jim Harbaugh, okay, you're one, Washington's two, Texas is three. In that four slot, you can play Alabama, uh, you can play uh, Ohio State, Georgia, or Florida State. All day long, they would have said, give us Florida State. Yeah. There, yeah. There's no question. Did you see the reaction in the room when it was announced, too? There was one there. guy was like, what the – you know, he's looking at her like, what the hell are we – we've been number one pretty much all year, and we got to play Alabama? I know. I know. And, and you're – I mean, look at – look at uh, in another part of this conversation that I don't think it's spoken about enough, I and mean, it's because everybody's in angst over the Florida State-Alabama decision, is we just took Georgia and put them from one to six. Crazy. Are you going to sit there and tell me they're not one of the top four teams in the country? You're going to sit there and tell me if you pulled every single coach that had to play against them and said, hey, public, we need to know where you think this team is, what they would say? I mean, yeah, I mean, let, let me ask you, what, what would be your right now if, if they were like, hey, look, we don't care about anything that has happened right now. The four best teams in college football, you give us, give them, give me the four best one through four. They probably in this particular situation, because there was a head-to-head, they would have taken Texas and Georgia. If you just went for, but you're assuming that that you're saying that Alabama won. Yeah, I'm saying Alabama won. But right now, if you if oh, yourself, Tom Lugabell, you, you've got to put your four best teams in right now: Michigan, Texas, Alabama, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Those those are the. I think I tweeted that out. Those are the best four teams. And then I tweeted out what I thought the matchups would be, and they ultimately ended up being that. Um, you know, there were a lot of people that believed they were going to make it Washington and Michigan, this last Big Ten, Pac-12, Rose Bowl. Um, I didn't see that. I think Washington did enough to go undefeated and a really good Pac-12 this year to get that number two. I don't think they deserved Washington. Um, I think the matchups are fantastic. I, I yeah. said this just a little bit ago. This is the first time I can ever remember going into a playoff where I was like, I think all four teams can win the national championship. People are going to discount Washington all they want, but this team knows how to win tight games. Yeah, no question. And they are conditioned to win one possession games. It's the, That's how you live in the Pac-12, right? If you can do it there, you can do it anywhere. Uh, to your point, not only are there four, all four teams could win it, I think there's six teams that could win it. And unfortunately, that's just the, the year that we're living in. I mean, if we're really looking at the top the top four teams, like we just said, you'd have Georgia, Alabama, Texas, and Michigan, whatever order you want to put in. And there, there's no way the committee could justify doing it. Even if they believe it, they can't justify doing it, which is why they should have stayed away from that language from the very beginning. Yeah, best team. You're right. It's uh, Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganbill on Disrupt the Media. Like, subscribe, give us that thumbs up. It is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Go to manscaped.com. Great stocking stuffers here for the man in your life. Put in that promo code uh, Lugs, L-O-O-G-S, and they're going to hook you up at checkout. That is at manscaped.com. So now the portal's open, and it seems like every time I pull the computer up or I look at the phone, somebody's rolling a new name. I know. 
I'm not really surprised on Cam Ward because I did hear last last week that he had multiple seven-figure offers already. My prediction is he ends up going to Ohio State. I think some people were surprised that Kyle McCord is in the portal. Uh, to me, sure. and this is just pure speculation, it seems like there was a hard conversation with Ryan Day and Kyle McCord. We've got X player coming in. Again, I think it's Cam Ward. And I'll give you an opportunity to compete with him. He is going to be the favorite coming in, though. And thank you for all the hard work you've given us. Thank you for the commitment. But if you want to go on to, you know, a better opportunity, so be it. That's that's what I take from the Kyle McCord. I don't know how you feel about that. I think he's a pretty good quarterback. But the problem is, much like Jalen Milrow earlier this year, Lugs, he is getting compared to the C.J. Strouds and the Dwayne Haskins and right. uh, Justin Fields. Yeah, he is. And listen, I think a little bit of this, too, if you're him, you probably feel underappreciated. I mean, look at the scrutiny. Like, all he did was win. And every single weekend, it's never good enough. And he actually played really well more often than not, especially for a young first-time player. And so, you know, he probably feels slight a little bit. But I, I think you're right. I think he feels like he's the starting quarterback there, and he should be treated as such. And if they're going to go out and, and, you know, credit Ryan Day, if he has a man-to-man -man conversation, brings him in and says, listen, this is what we're thinking about doing. And obviously, there must be some validity to it because there's no way he would have that conversation with Kyle McCord because the decision, if it happens, is going to impact this next week. Like you're going you're gonna to know when you're going into the Cotton Bowl. So you have to have the conversation. And so uh, I, I think you're dead on there. Um, where he would go, I don't know. I, you know. He played good football. He's played at a very, very high level. I think, you know, with everybody in the transfer portal, you really got to do your homework. You got to figure out why they are in there. How much have they actually played? Can they be evaluated at the collegiate level? Um, you know, do, do they fit like what, what we're doing? Because, you know, the, the one thing about the, the transfer portal, and I've talked to a lot of coaches, obviously, over the years about this, but this conversation was had maybe this fall more than ever. And that is, we're not all that interested in guys who have been in the transfer portal for less than two years that haven't played. Like, we're better off going and identifying a guy that we think is going to be really good to us for us through the recruiting process. And then we're going to bring we're going to bring that player and we're going to develop him. And then we'll work the transfer portal with guys that have played football, meaningful snaps um, in big games. And we know a little bit more about them. And that's the conversation I'm hearing more, more and more. So, like, there's going to be a lot of people that will go into that transfer portal that aren't going to have a landing spot. Well, let me let me throw some out at you real quick. Um, and by the way, this is Spitting Lugs with ESPN's Tom Luganville. Disrupt the media, like, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. Um, Grayson McCall's got a ton of experience. Cam Ward, a ton of experience. Riley Leonard, a lot of experience. Yeah. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, a ton of experience. Dante Moore, a little bit of experience this year. Mm -hmm. uh, who am I leaving out? Kyle McCord. Well, Cam Ward. <laughs> Yeah, Cam Ward. It, okay, so let's take two different systems. Hugh Freeze at Auburn needs quarterback. Mm -hmm. Lincoln Riley. Malachi Nelson, I don't know. You watch the kid. I really limited snaps. Miller Moss was the backup this year, so I don't know. But if you had to take one of these guys to play for Lincoln Riley and one to play for Hugh Freeze, guys that are available, where would you go? Wow. Um, I think for Hugh Freeze, Grayson McCall would be a very interesting selection there just because of the athleticism having been heavily involved in option oriented type of stuff in the run game quarterback run game he just seems to kind of make some sense there I know that there were some you know initial talks last year with with that one 
um, as, as it related to him. But that one would kind of would, would make some sense to me. I think that SC has got to be very, very careful because it's going to be harder and harder for Lincoln Riley to sign high school quarterbacks if they continually sign a high school quarterback and then go into the portal to replace them. And so, you know, unless he's absolutely missed and what he inherited with Miller Moss and then what they signed last, last year with Malachi Nelson, you'd probably say it's Dante Moore. <laughs> yeah. Across the, right across the city. I mean, he seems like away. he seems like he'd be a really good fit. I think that one hit Chip Kelly hard, man. I, I think I really think he felt Ethan Gar- Garbers would be the one going into the transfer portal. And so he might have been blindsided by that one a little bit. And keep in mind, too, you know, a lot of this stuff, there's a lot of rumblings out there, especially with the younger players, as it relates to name, image, and likeness that were either promised or provided for initially to get that hook in them. And then all of a sudden, everything they were told didn't actually happen. And so now they're disgruntled or they're, you know, they're looking for another outlet or another place. That stuff's very real. And it is happening. If Cam Ward, if I am right about this, if he does end up in Columbus, how does he fit in Ryan Day's offense? Oh, he'd be much. He'd be much more of a you know Braxton Miller, Justin Fields, you know type of player in relationship to um, the athleticism. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, uh, probably yeah, probably close to CJ there. I think that's that's pretty fair. Um, he's just and he's really accomplished. I mean, he's played. He's played just about every level you can play at, and he's played at a very high level. He does have some turnover issues at times, but he's he's your prototypical spread air raid guy that is athletic. It's what everybody's looking for right now. So are there any other names? I mean, we always talk quarterbacks, but have you seen any interesting names that are like difference makers that can come in and, and play for major Power 5 programs right now? Well, I think Riley Leonard can play for just about anybody. I think that he is a going to be a very high-profile guy um, because of the character, the background, the student-athlete part of it. Um, he's got tremendous upside and a high ceiling. He hasn't even scratched the surface of what he's going to be capable of. He's got to stay healthy, though. I mean, that's the other dynamic on all of this is you've got to research – you know, a guy's history in his background as it relates to injury. Are you going to be inheriting that? And is that guy going to have the same thing happen to him over and over and over again? And we've, we, we've seen that with quarterbacks. I think the other thing, too, is, you know, we heard Matt Rule talk about, oh, you know, it, what, it, what it may cost in the market now to be in the market for, you know, a, a high-level quarterback, million, million five, two, whatever. My pushback on that and my question was, how many of those guys in the market have actually played like a million dollars at the place they're at before. And if they did, then maybe they wouldn't be in the portal. All right. So maybe the market's skewed. That may be the, the numbers that people are throwing out there, but you're going to pay a guy that much money. He better be getting you to a new year's six bowl game. Yeah. Well, look, Dylan Gabriel, I've been a fan of his since way back UCF days and he, mm-hmm. He looked to be back to that form this year under Brent Vittables yeah. at Oklahoma. And Jeff Levy was obviously his offensive coordinator, who's now in Mississippi State. I find it hard to believe, though, Dylan Gabriel. I don't know what the relationship is. I'm sure it's great with Jeff Levy. find it hard to believe he would leave Oklahoma to go to Mississippi State. You? Actually, no. I think that would make a ton of sense and I'll, and, I, and, and for, for a couple of reasons. Number one, they've got a guy waiting in the wings there at Oklahoma and Jackson Arnold that's really good. And I think Dylan Gabriel knows it. 
I think he's probably close to tapping the top of his head on the ceiling. And a fresh start in the SEC, a great bridge player, like to come in for the first year, implement an offense, have a plug-and-play guy, probably get you a win or two more than maybe you would have had if you didn't have that. That's going to be worth something in name, image, and likeness. So maybe this is not only a fresh start, but it's a name, image, and likeness increase. And it just the timing of it happens to work out really, really well. If you recall, when Dylan Gabriel originally went into the transfer portal, he was committed to UCLA. Jeff Lebby gets the offensive coordinator job at Oklahoma and says, whoa, 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 no, no, no. Hold on a second. Calls he flips and goes to Oklahoma. There's got to be a relationship and a tie in there with this one. Hey, what is more surprising to you, though, the progression of Jalen Milrow from the beginning of this season to where he is right now or the regression of, of Keaton Slovis and from that first year at USC to Pittsburgh to BYU? Oh, wow. Uh, probably the regression of, of Keaton Slovis. Um, what an up-and-down, erratic uh, career that was that sometimes just – head scratching well you remember this you might you might have been on the game i don't know i remember i was at a a high school reunion believe it or not uh when they played the holiday bowl against iowa and i was keeping up with it on my phone and they're winning the game and then he gets the uh, the injury and he's out and it completely it seemed like it 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 transformed everything that was going right for him usc ended up losing that game um and he's never been the same player no he hasn't i had them twice that year his his freshman year and then He's never been the same player. They'd never been the same program. He was always battling injury. Um, I didn't have him at Pitt last year. Had him at BYU this year against Texas. But it was a long, long, like, slow downhill regression, you know, whereas Jalen Milrose has been, uh, you know, by all accounts, a pretty fast progression of improvement and incremental success that has come with each and, and every game. You know, we, we've seen, you know, I, I thought before he got injured, I thought going back to the 2018 or 2019 Sun Bowl was when I first saw Jordan Travis play quarterback for Florida State. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy cannot play quarterback in, in major college football. I think I think Jordan Travis is the most improved player in college football since that point, regardless of position. I don't even think it's close. Wow. I mean, he completely tr- changed the trajectory of his entire life, his entire career and what may come after college and he didn't even look like he could compete at this level at that position that's been remarkable to me i think you look at Jaden daniels if you go back to his freshman year at arizona state and you're like oh man this guy's going to be really really good and then all he did you talk about regress he regressed as a freshman or excuse me as a sophomore and a junior and then i had the spring game when he transferred to lsu and at that time they had uh, Miles Brennan, who'd played a lot of football. He just couldn't stay injured. They couldn't stay healthy. Garrett Dustmeyer had just arrived. Walker Howard was there. And then Jaden Daniels comes in. And you came off of that spring game. You didn't know who the quarterback was going to be. It wasn't like he walked in and just lit the world on fire. And so he deserves a ton of credit. He, he I mean, he might have himself a career for a long time. So last week after the Iron Bowl, I forgot what the late game was. Um... I can't remember. I think it was a Pac-12 game. Um, it was. It I, was uh, I think it was. Wasn't it? Was it Washington State? No, that was Friday. It was. Uh, Who was it? I watched I it too. 
Anyway, uh, after that game, we're up late, and a buddy of mine, uh, I, I, we were talking about different movies, and the movie Colors came up. He had never seen it in 1988. With Robert Duvall? Yeah, Dennis Hopper actually directs it with Robert Duvall and Sean Penn as Pac-Man, uh, the, the mean cop back before things were caught on video. And I watched it as a kid. I loved it. It was a little cheesier this time. Don Cheadle's got a small role in it. Uh, so the cast is pretty good. And it really it, it tried to capture what was going on in the late 80s in South Central L.A. between yeah. the Bloods and the Crips. And so I thought it was kind of entertaining. It wasn't as good as when I first saw it as a kid. Have you seen it, though? Oh, I've seen it, too. And I came, you know, at that time, I was eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, really through high school where, because at the time, my dad was coaching college football in California. And so, you know, he was always recruiting those areas. And sometimes I'd be along for the ride. And uh, you start to go into some of some of those areas in South Central L.A. and, and Torrance and, and Watts and off Crenshaw Boulevard and some of those areas. And, you know, if you remember shortly thereafter, Boys in the Hood came oh, out. Yeah. Remember that? And it was all kind of it all kind of followed in the path. And then right after that, you had the Rodney King scenario that happened right in the streets of exactly where that movie was was uh, documented. So if you think that's a good movie because it is, and you want to upgrade to one of the most realistic police movies that you'll ever watch. And I'm saying this according to my best friend, the best man in my wedding, who has been retired 23 years uh, as a a major uh, police force. Go watch End of Watch with with Jake Gyllenhaal. And, oh, now I'm going to... Michael Pena? Michael Pena, yes. So I, I, here's why I haven't seen it. It's it, it most of it done with a handheld, like nine millimeter camera. It's kind of shaky. Some of it, yeah, yeah, a lot of it is. Yeah, see, I get motion sickness. I know I sound like a a, a poon, but oh yeah, man, I've walked out of I walked out of Saving Private Ryan. I went back the very next day and sat in the back. That first beach scene, it yeah. completely destroyed me. Uh, <laughs> I walked out of this is gonna get funny. Captain Phillips, the up and oh, down yeah. the boat, it killed me. Um, uh, I am legend Will Smith when he's running with his dog Samantha. Dog. That you riding a car? I'm finding a car. Like if I get out on a boat past where I can see the coast, that's a problem. Uh, rides like going upside down, that's a problem. But you know, I I, I found that so Blair Witch killed me, and and I'll never forget oh. back when I used to read the old USA Today, which I'm sure you did. My favorite sections were the Red Sports and then the Purple Life. Life. Exactly. They, yeah. they did something on people's equilibrium that were leaving the theaters for Blair Witch. And so obviously I've got that same thing. It's just an emotion. I don't know. You, but it's, You should wear that little patch that they put on the back of your neck before you go to the movies. Probably. Stop being such a woo-woo. I know. It's so pathetic. But yeah. But anyway, I if you can, watch okay. End of Watch and sit at the very opposite end of your house. Okay. So why is it so authentic? Um... They, according to my, my buddy, because my buddy hates cop movies, and he came to me, he's going to be twice in his life. Like, he hates Law and Order, he hates all that in this net. He came to me one time, he goes, hey, not going to believe this, but he goes, have you watched that show, The Wire? And I'm like, I haven't yet. He goes, well, you know how much, how I feel about cop movies. He goes, that movie is my job. And he goes, and they nailed it. In, and in so, The Wire or, or? The Wire. Yeah, the wire's incredible. So he first came back, he said that to me, and that's when I knew, like, if he says that, he must be legit. He hates all cop movies and cop uh, shows, for that matter. So then he comes back 
few years later, he goes, Hey man, you watch this end of watch. He goes, that that's legit, dude. That is, they have nailed that thing in terms of like the tone, what actually is happening, how it's happening, how dangerous the whole thing is and all this and that. And it's a really good movie. It's one of the better police movies you'll ever watch. It, it is really tough in whatever field you're in. Cause I was a bookmaker in college. And I, I booked for like 10 years. I really did in Alabama. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Like made yeah, a yeah. living? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I was in school, but I learned after my freshman year, after I lost a bunch of money, I was are like, you, Are gonna... you on the arm? I mean, are you like, are you connected? No, but I literally, I ran book for a, for a decade in Tuscaloosa and, <laughs> and it was, it was incredible. But every time I watch a movie about a bookie, it is so stereotyped and they're so far off with lingo and everything. And really? they've got a new show on HBO called Bookie and it's okay. a comedy. So Chuck Lorre, um, Nick Bakai is one of the producers. Chuck Lorre, the guy behind uh, Two and a Half Men. Man, yeah. He's the executive producer. And it's a cast that I'm, I don't even really recognize. But it's just so cheesy with the lingo and stuff. And I mean, it's somewhat entertaining. That's how I am about football movies. Yeah, I bet. That's what I was at. like. Like, so you were, you know, you've seen the executive positions and coaching and all that. Like, I've never seen the movie Draft Day. Do they even come close on Draft Day? With, yeah, with how actually, it is? Draft Day has a couple of moments that are that that are fairly realistic. That some conversations that would be had, and some strain in the room, in the draft room on that day, and the preparation for that day, and dealing with agents and and all and there 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 are some things like there's a conversation in that movie about i think kevin Costner's on the phone with a guy they're thinking about taking and they're like dude stay off stay off social media you're killing yourself you know like those types of things yeah it's true you know by the way mr bookie have you seen the line on the orange bowl uh yeah yeah and here's what's gonna happen here's what's gonna happen the committee's taking all this heat and somehow, some way, it will all end up working itself out. And they're going to make themselves look good on the Florida State call and horrible on the Georgia call. Well, it, that thing could get out of hand. Well, the, the, the narrative to me is this. If Florida State somehow wins it, everybody's going to say, I told you so. Florida State oh, should course. have been in this. Yeah. And the other side, if Georgia blows them out, people are going to say, Florida State, they just weren't into this game because they got they got jilted. From the college it's like football the team that get, it's like it's like Oregon having the group of five draw versus Liberty. Right. How do the you team, know? How do you know when a team's going to show up for a bowl game, though? It's hard, man. It's getting it's gotten harder and harder and harder. Listen, I've been a part. I was a part of the Peach Bowl when Houston beat Florida State, and you could tell from the moment you walked on the field, Florida State didn't want to be there. UCF beating Auburn in the Peach Bowl. Right. Then I had it wasn't a bowl game. It was the, one of those opening kickoff games between Houston and Oklahoma. Houston beats Oklahoma on that yep. day. Like that, that group of five draw is not easy. Like you got to have some, I think you got to have some really, really mature players that really care about winning. He is ESPN's Tom Lugan, Bill at Spitting Lugs. We do it every single week here on Disrupt the Media. It is brought to you by Lance's Lock. Lance'sLock.com. Jump on board. We've got a big bowl package we'll tell you about, but all leagues, all plays, we do it every single day. We've got daily packages, weekly, monthly, annual packages. Jump on board at lanceslog.com. Great stuff. I know you're going to be busy. When's the uh, first bowl game for you? Uh, I've got uh, I've got an FCS quarterfinal this coming Saturday, South Dakota State and Villanova in uh, Brookings, South Dakota. I got to somehow get from there to Bristol to do our bowl bowl uh, Capital One Bowl reveal show, and then the following week, let's see, that will be the famous Toastery Bowl in Charlotte on Monday 
the 18th and then go to Bristol for signing day for the 20th. And then have the, uh, oh, I'm not allowed to say. I have a, a New Year's Six Bowl. <laughs> I have a New Year's Six Bowl after Christmas. <laughs> okay, very, very good. Uh, safe travels. Uh, we'll do it again next week at some point. We'll figure it All out. Right. Sounds good, buddy. See ya.